In that uh, passage that has just been read for us from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 of chapter 4 reads, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Or as the authorized version translates it, none of you be found to have come short of it. When I was a kid growing up, I was nearly as absent-minded as I am today. In those days, there were no televisions, no computers, no mobile phones. I really grew up in a very uh, underprivileged age. But once I got my head in a book, or once I was playing with my toys, or once I was drawing a picture, I was totally absorbed, totally focused, even when the sweets were being handed out. And many a time my mother used to say to me, hurry up, Godfrey, or you'll come short. In Hebrews 4 and 1, the person who wrote this letter warns his readers that God is offering a wonderful gift to men and women. And if we fail to pay attention and act upon it, we too may miss our chance and come short. What he says here looks back to days of long ago when the Hebrew people were making their great journey to the promised land. God had delivered them from Egypt where they had been slaves. But now as they tracked through the wilderness, they got more and more fed up. They were tired with the heat, tired with the long, weary miles of the journey and the uncertainty of it all. And so they grumbled and groaned against Moses, their leader, and against God. The truth was all too plain. Among those Hebrews, people of real faith were few and far between. Most of the chosen people were mere fringers, mere hangers-on with no sure hold on God and no great trust in his promises. And so they came short, for God swore they will never enter into my rest. Our text takes up the stern warning of this Old Testament story. You too could come short, says the writer. For God is holding his promises out to you. But what if you should fail to lay hold of them? What if you should come short of making them your very own? I often use that phrase, coming short, at a service of baptism like this. For in this sacrament, God seals to us his great promise of salvation and new life. God never forces his promises upon us. He offers them to us. 
and we must claim them for ourselves. We must make them our very own. And yet how often that is exactly what folk like us fail to do. We become totally absorbed in the things of this world, and so we come short of things eternal. Let me ask first of all this morning, how do we make sure of the promises of God? When God makes a promise to us, we've got to receive it in faith. In other words, we've got to believe it is true. We've got to take it at its face value. We've got to be sure that it includes me. We've got to rest upon it. As someone once said, faith is betting your life there is a God. Just supposing a friend were to say to you, I've got a wee something I would like to give you, something rather special that I think you would really like and that you'll always treasure. Meet me at the City Hall tomorrow morning at 10.15 and we'll go somewhere for a cup of coffee and I'll hand it over to you. Well, what would you do? I have no doubt that you would be there and you would be there on the dot. And what's more, you'd expect your friend to be there with this rather mysterious and special gift that he's planned to give you. Why would you expect that? Well, because you trust your friend. You believe that what he says he will do. And he will. Unless, of course, he gets hindered in some way so that he's no longer able to keep his word. Now, if you trust your friend like that, how much more can we trust the Lord Jesus? His word is even more certain, and nothing will hinder him. There are no ifs and buts about his promises. What he says, he will do. Every word he promises, he will fully perform. And so when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we come to him, he will. Or when he says, Whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. And we come to him. And he won't. Or when we read in John 3.16, God so that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He will carry out what he says. And if we believe in him, will give us that everlasting life that he promises. Maybe that all sounds far too simple, 
in your ears. Maybe you're saying to yourself this morning, I wish to goodness he wouldn't preach in such a simplistic kind of way. Let me just put it like this. The Christian message takes us deep into the heart of some of the most sublime and mysterious truths known to the human intellect. And yet at the heart of the gospel, there is a simplicity that even the most uncomplicated mind, with God's help, is able to grasp. To be a Christian means to lay hold of the promises of God. In this sacrament of baptism, we are brought to the very core of the gospel. In Acts 2, 38 and 39, the words that Father Jerry read for us this morning, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. See what the Lord says. He says, I want to give you my Holy Spirit. This gift is also for your children. I want them to share with you in your God-given inheritance. I want you to possess eternal life, the very life of God within you now, and a place in heaven hereafter. And this mind-blowing promise is for you to receive and make your very own. How can you receive it? The Scripture tells us we need to turn away from our old, self-centered, sinful life. The word is repent. And we need to receive the Lord Jesus into our lives as our Savior and Lord. And yet, how many people hear these words of promise and they come short? How many children are given this divinely appointed sign and seal and they either grow up not knowing what has been done for them, or they forget their heavenly inheritance. They turn away from the promises and from their place in the chosen people of God. And so in the end, they lose out. They will not enter into my rest. So let me ask secondly, why do folk come short of what God has promised to do in them and for them? Why is it possible that so many baptized people never seem to come into the full and joyful possession of new life in Christ? The answer 
that this passage gives in chapter 3, verse 12, is in one word, unbelief. What lies behind this unbelief? Well, I believe, first of all, there are sometimes problems of understanding. I don't understand what the Christian faith really teaches, they say. I don't understand the Bible. I can't make sense of it. Some people say science contradicts the Bible. I'm all confused. I'm not sure if there really is a God, says someone else. How can I believe in miracles in this scientific age, says another? Or someone else says, it's the problem of suffering that gets me. I can't understand how a good God allows it. Or someone else says, the resurrection of Jesus, sure that's only a myth. It's something the early church made up. And so the list goes on. Let me respond by saying, of course our Christian faith poses many problems for our minds and intellects. Indeed, if we were able to understand it all, there would be no need for faith at all. We would know beyond all question. But when we boil it all down, every one of those problems has been faced 10,000 times before, and literally millions of sincere and intelligent Christians have grappled with them, and yet in the end have not found them a barrier to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall I tell you something? In my experience, and with very few exceptions, most of the problems that people raise about understanding the faith are problems they raise at second hand. They're echoing what they've heard somebody else say. And often they are being echoed by people who haven't thought deeply about their Christian faith, who haven't taken time to study what the Christian faith really teaches, who don't want to reopen the decisions they made when they were teenagers, who don't want to think freshly about the problems of mind and intellect and how they relate to our beliefs. So, problems of understanding, real and sincere for some, or perhaps just a front for some others, and then secondly, people come to this state of unbelief because of problems of behavior. Indeed, sometimes the problems of understanding are really a front for the problems of behavior. So many who are loud in their unbelief are really hiding away from the gospel because they know that Jesus is going to make moral demands upon them and the way they live their lives. And they're not prepared to pay the price 
that following Jesus will bring. Hamish McKenzie, in his wonderful book about preaching, has a phrase about people like this. He describes them as naughty boys running away from their heavenly father. Rather a clever phrase, but with more than a germ of truth in it. Earlier I reminded you that the heart of the gospel is simple and the offer of the gospel is free, but it is not cheap. Not cheap. Anyone who truly finds Jesus will come to love Jesus. And love is the most demanding experience in the world. For love of Jesus, men and women, young people, have turned away from their sins. For love of Jesus, people have kicked enslaving habits. They have shouldered demanding responsibilities. They have tackled costly tasks. Alas, many are simply not prepared to contemplate those challenges. They don't want to leave their comfort zones, and so they come short. Problems of understanding, problems of behavior, but perhaps the commonest reason of all why people turn away and come short is simply the problem of indifference. For most of those who fail to lay claim to all that Christ is offering them do so not because they don't understand, not because they are deeply unwilling to obey, but simply because they don't care. They can't be bothered. They're a bit like this little boy, totally immersed in what they're doing now. Their work, their hobbies, their sport, their house, their family, their television, all perfectly good things. But these have become their gods. And so the promise of Jesus, the message of the gospel, the significance of their baptism, the offer of forgiveness, the hope of heaven, all this is lost to them. As the old mission hymn put it, room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified not a place where he can enter in your heart for which he died. And the result? They come short. They miss out on truly knowing Jesus as their Savior and friend, on the wonderful sense of purpose he brings, on the peace of having their sins forgiven on the deep inward peace of walking with God.
All this and so much beside, as this letter to the Hebrews puts it in another place, how shall we escape if we neglect, there's the word, if we neglect so great salvation? Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have come short of it. That's the challenge. Don't come short of all that God is offering you in Christ. For what he offers is what we need. And what he offers, we can never gain for ourselves. It is nothing less than pardon and peace, than wholeness and well-being, than salvation and eternal life, and heaven at last. It has been pledged by God to you and me and to our children. It has been shown and sealed to us afresh today through word and sacrament. Please, please, don't come short. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for the great and wonderful promises you have made to us and to our children, recorded faithfully in the Bible. You have sealed them and secured them for us by the death and resurrection of your dear Son. May we not come short of them through failure to understand or believe, or obey. May we rather act upon them and make them our very own so that we may inherit and enjoy all that you have promised. For the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord, who is the yes to all your promises, Amen.